Good morning, everyone. It's, it's really good to be here. I'm always really excited to be able to come to Tunbridge Wells and, and, and speak. And I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I just think there's an incredible heart connection between our church and this church. Um, and, and I'll tell you why, because I know that, that not all of you know me, and I'm not going to bore you with who I am and all the details. You know, just chat to me afterwards. You know, we'll have a coffee <laughs> afterwards and chat. But, but here's what I know, and I just want to say this especially to folk that have done the distance, um, been here just a few years. You reap what you sow. And I just want to thank you because um, what we are seeing in Folkestone and what we are just having the joy to experience down there, um, so much of that is because of what you as a church have just sown into our lives. And so I say that humbly, thank you with all my heart. And I want to encourage you. Um, Helen, that was so good what you said about sometimes we've just got to take the hit so that others can walk in that. And, and there's people in this church, you've taken the hit for people like me. And so thank you. But can I encourage all of us to keep doing that? Let's be a people that say, I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to forge the way forward. I love the verse in Hebrews. I'm already going off piece. I love the verse in Hebrews where, where it says this, strengthen your arms, strengthen your weak knees. The older you get, you need to know that, don't you? Okay, strengthen your weak knees. Um, forge a path ahead of you because of those that are coming behind you. And there's this sense in which that's what the church of Jesus Christ is called to do. And, and can I gently say to you, actually, I don't say anything gently. Can I just say to you, just, just buckle up. Come on. Some of us need to toughen up a little bit and just say, I'm not in this for me. Um, Actually, I'm in this for others. I was in conversation with somebody yesterday, and these kind of conversations grieve me as a pastor, where their attitude about something was, well, what am I going to get out of it? And that just grieves any pastor. Um, because I want to tell you, it's time that we grew up, and it's time that we said, I'm going to forge the way forward so that others can walk in the blessing. Is anyone hearing me today? Yeah, it's, it's really good to be here. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5. And I'm just going to read a very familiar story to us. And then I'm going to just grab some thoughts from this. And I'm trusting at the end that we'll just have opportunity to just really hear what the Father wants to say to us. Um, thank you for the worship this morning. Uh, some of those songs I didn't know, but they were, they were just great. Um, this was the image that I had just standing down there next to Judith. Um, sorry if this isn't the sort of image you want, but um, <laughs> it was one of a shower. Um, Sorry, if you can cope with that. I just, as we were singing, uh, what has become one of my favourite songs the last few years, You're a Good, Good Father. Um, can I just tell you this? When it first came out in 2015, 16, I couldn't sing it. So I get, I get that there's people in this room that go, I can't sing it. That was me. Um, every time it came on, I would just switch it off. Or I remember one time going to our sound guy at the back and he was playing it after church and I just went and said, switch tracks. That's how much I couldn't sing it, all right? Listen, God gets that. He's okay with it. He's big enough for your disappointment and your pain. What he can't handle is when you're not honest about it. So the best thing you can do is be honest about where you're at. And if this morning, that singing those songs, you are good is a struggle for you, that's okay. Admit it. Don't hide from it. Be honest about it. But back to this morning as you were singing those songs... And we're singing, I'm loved by you. I just had this sense of, you know, I, I don't start my day without a shower. You'll be glad to know that. <laughs> you may, but I don't. The shower sets me up for the day. And here's the thing, as we were singing that song, I was like, this is the shower that we need to bask in every day. Don't leave your house before standing still long enough. And it might only be 30 seconds to say, and I'm loved by you. And too often we start our day on a mission, on purpose. God, I'm here as your servant. And he says, I don't want you as a servant. I want you as a son. I don't want you to come into my presence with this sense of purpose and agenda and mission. Do you know we've done that for too long as a church? If we can't start our day in the shower of, and I'm loved by you, our day is just not going to work. But the minute that we set our hearts towards this place of, I'm your child, I'm your son, before I do anything, I'm loved. Before I breathe, I'm loved. I'm loved by you. Oh, what a difference. And so thank you for leading us in, in that incredible song. Let's read together Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. God, don't you long for that in our nation? Yeah. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and they were washing their nets. Slipping, sorry, stepping, not slipping, <laughs> stepping into one of the boats. Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out to where it's deeper. Let down your nets 
to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. This time, the nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. I love that. And soon their boats were filled with fish and they were on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realised what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. This is an incredible story, and in a way, it's every um, preacher's dream, because you've got so much in this. You've got the wow, the miracle, you've got um, relationship that you can see in this, you've got teaching, um, you've got revelation that comes. There's so much within these short verses that um, any preacher could preach from. It's just a a great story. And this morning, I just want to highlight two verses, verse 4 and verse 5, that we find right in the middle of this story. I guess you would say these are the pivotal verses, the verses that the story kind of hinges on. And, and, and in the time I've got, I want to suggest to you that in these two verses, we find a pattern that I think actually we see throughout Scripture. And as I observe my years on this planet so far, I see it very clearly in my life. Let me show you what the pattern is. First of all, we see this. We see an invitation. There's an invitation. In this case, put your nets into the deep water. An invitation into the deep. Secondly, you see this. There's the temptation, or maybe you'd even call it attention. Um, whatever words you want to use to it, but a temptation, a tension to actually just remain where you are, to reset to what's familiar, to what's most logical, to what feels safe and what feels secure. And then following on from that, you've got this decision and this courage to say yes. As I look through the Bible, I see this pattern time and time again. Let me just give you some examples. You've got Moses. There he is at, at the bush that's on fire. This, this miracle that's happening. And God speaks to him through the bush and, and, he, and his, his invitation to him is, I've got a mission for you, Moses. And within these few moments of this story, you see the tension where Moses is then beginning to, do I say yes or do I pull back? Do I say yes and have the courage to step into the thing God's calling me to? Or do I actually hold back and just reset to what's most familiar? If you know that story, you know how it pans out. God just helps him in and gives him a, a, a friend, a colleague to speak for him. Do you know that's okay? God knows when you need someone alongside you. What about, what about Gideon? You know this story of Gideon? I like Gideon. I think I can relate to him. He was a bit of a fearful chap, and I won't lie to struggling with fear myself. And so where do we find Gideon in this story? Hiding away, because the big scary army, the Midianites, are, are, are ruthless, and they're just out to get them. And so Gideon is there. We find him in a wine press threshing wheat. The angel appears, and what does the angel do? He declares over him, mighty man of valor, the exact opposite to how Gideon is feeling. And what happens is that then within this conversation that we read about in the book of Judges, we see that there's an invitation. Gideon, there's an invitation for you, an invitation into the deep. And then you feel the tension and the tension that Gideon walks through. What am I going to do? And in Gideon's case, he really does stretch that tension by, okay, I'll put a fleece out, then I'll put another fleece out. And so he stretches the tension. That's okay. Do what you have to do. But the ultimate thing is that then he had the courage to say, yes, I'll do it. What about Noah? The same thing, an invitation. I want you to build an ark for me, Noah. The temptation, the tension of, am I going to do it? Am I going to step forward? Or actually, am I going to listen to the voices of people around me? I could go on. There's, there's so many stories I could mention. David, you know, David, when he faced Goliath, you know, in a way, I would suggest that this invitation came from within him, the Spirit of God stirring him. Go down to where they are, and as he's listening to Goliath, just taunting his fellow people, his tribe, his something rises up within him and says, this, this isn't good enough. The invitation stirred within him. There's, there's something that can be done here. But for him, the temptation and the tension wasn't so much the voices within, it was the voices without. You can't do this, David. Go home. You're just too young. Who do you think you are? Wear my armor. Oh, it's not going to fit. The tension, the, t- the tension that David walks through. And then ultimately he says, I'm going to do it. What about your life? I know that as I track my life, I see this pattern again and again, an invitation from heaven. Sarah, come to where it's deeper. Come, come. I've got something for you. And that's very quickly followed by the tension of, oh, God. <sighs> Anyone get me this morning? And if, if heaven was to, to look over my life, and, and, and I, you know, I believe it does. I believe all of heaven does. Do you know what? I think heaven is on tiptoes often just waiting. What are they going to do? Where are they going to go? I, th- I think sometimes all of heaven is just watching. 
Come on, cheering us on. That's the thing. They're not watching to set us up for a fail. They're watching to say, come on, you can do this. Come on. But there's those pivotal moments in our life where we have a choice to make. And so within this story, I want to talk about this pattern, this invitation, this temptation to reset, but the courage to say yes. Look at verse 4 with me. Let's look at this invitation. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out to where it is deeper and let your nets down for a catch. I want to begin today by telling you this. The invitation from heaven is always for growth, for expansion, for more, for increase. I don't read anywhere in my Bible and in my journey with God where he is about to downsize you, where he is about to say, you've had your fill, move out the way, it's time for somebody else. I just don't read that. And yet that's the, that's the mentality that so many of us live with. It's our British mentality especially. Well, I had my blessing from God yesterday. God, you bless somebody else. Newsflash, God has enough blessing for them and for you. He really does. He's not there counting the smarties out. One for you and one for me and one for you. But sometimes that's the mentality we have towards our father. When I read Jesus' description of his father, it's one of generosity overflowing. It's one of goodness. His goodness and his love pursue me, chase me, run after me all the days of my life. There is so much growth and expansion that the kingdom of God wants to do within your life. There is more, there is more, there is more. And that's not, I'm not just saying that because that's what a preacher should say. I'm telling you from my own experience, I'm discovering daily on a daily basis, there's more, there's more revelation. There's more truth to be discovered. You know, David prayed one of the best prayers that you could pray, teach me your truth and show me your ways. Because we never come to the end. You've never arrived until you arrive. And yet some of us, some of us, we, we've, we've begun to put our feet up. For some of us, we've got the mentality of, well, God did it then. I've had my bit. It's time for somebody else now. Come on, church. God is about expansion. The kingdom of heaven is about so much more. There's always an upgrade. There's no limit on the blessing and the goodness and the overflow from heaven. There's more truth and revelation that God wants to give us. Would you turn with me to Isaiah? I just want you to look at this verse. And it's incredibly familiar. Isaiah 43. I've been dwelling in this verse just personally for my own life over this last year. And, and this is, you know, we, we love this verse. We quote it. It's on bookmarks. I think sometimes we, we don't see the full impact of it. I'm going to read from verse 16. Isaiah is, is speaking to this nation of Israel. And he says this, speaking on behalf of God, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smouldering candle wick. Now listen to this, but forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm about to do. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? For I'm about to do something new. I find these verses intriguing because I recognize my, my own journey here in the, that I could easily hear the voice of the Lord over my life saying, look at all you've done. Look at all that's happened. Look at what's been. And too many of us settle there. Well, look at the miracles God did in the past. Well, look at his goodness. Look at what he did. You know, we sing about it, about the faithfulness of God. And so we should. But have we sung about it so much that we stop looking forward to what's next? Are we so stuck in what's been that actually we're not perceiving? We're not perceiving the new thing that God is doing. I love the way that Isaiah says, but forget all that. Because what's he saying to forget? I think we, we tend to say, but forget all that, all the bad things. Forget all that, forget the hurt. Forget all the disappointment. But here Isaiah's not saying that. He's saying forget the miracles and the wonders. Forget the way that God parted the sea for you. It was brilliant and it was right for then. But forget all that because I'm about to do something new. Do you perceive it? Do you perceive it? Over the summer... Um, Throughout the whole summer, actually, for four weeks, just over four weeks, we were away, um, not on holiday. I'd like to say it was holiday, but it wasn't. We had two weeks of our holiday where we go down to the mountains in France and just have a great time mountain biking. We've done that for many years now. And then we came straight back, and within less than 24 hours, um, we were then down at our camp that we do in Sussex. And I know that groups from the church here come, which is just fantastic. So we then were literally just straight down um, into camp. 
And then after that two weeks, I just crazily um, jumped on our older youth that were going to Soul Survivor. There was a spare ticket, so I just couldn't help myself. I'm just a kid at heart. So, so I ended up just doing a few uh, days at Soul Survivor as well. Um, then get back from the summer, and it was uh, Kezia, Kezia sitting here. <laughs> it was Kezia's birthday, her 10th birthday. So any parent in the room would know what that means. Work. Um, <laughs> exhaustion. I'm always relieved when a birthday's over. No offence. Um, so... So 29th of August, we had Kezia's birthday, house full of girls, sleepover, tent in the garden, the works. I mean, we're just crazy, you know, we're just nutters. That's what we are. And, and then literally the very next day, um, I was in my happy place because I was about to start tidying. And, and if anyone knows me here, I'm, I'm happiest when I'm tidying. Is there anyone else like me that you're just like, oh, there's not many of you. I thought there'd be more. <laughs> Note I said tidying, not cleaning. There is a difference. There is a difference. I'm not happiest when I'm cleaning, but I'm happiest when I'm tidying, all right? So, um, so just saying. Um, and, and so you can imagine after being away for a month, and, and add into this picture as well, during this month that we were away, there was a family in our church that um, are having house renovations done within their house. And so in conversation mid-June with, the, with this lady, um, she was just saying, oh, I just, it would be lovely if we could just be out for the month of August. And so I just went, no problem, come and stay in our house. And um, so we had this family of four living in our house at the same time as all the chaos and craziness going on around us. The point I'm trying to make is this, is that for like literally the whole of the summer holiday, I just I wasn't at home and and so by the time we eventually got back there's tents everywhere there's sleeping bags everywhere um it was just chaos and then on top of that I'm opening my cupboards in the kitchen going that's not where I put that and um and then that's a bit wrong and and so I just you know walked into the dining room and I'm like hmm looks a bit tidy in here no but it was just it just looked it, it I just so here here's the point I'm getting to I, I literally did that thing um many of you will relate to where I just literally scooped everything into my hands and the stairs was already full of stuff Anyone sticking stuff on the stage? You get my job. So we're talking stuff everywhere. And, and literally the words that came out of my mouth were this. It's time to reset this house. Does anyone else ever, ever talk like that? You know, it's time to reset this house. I have a friend that I often would do the school run with. And when I say run, it's walk, by the way. Just respect Helen, but it's walk for me. Okay, It's the school walk. Um, and so we'll walk back on a Monday, and I'll often say to her as we're nearing our houses, oh, what's the plan for today? What's your Monday plan? And she'll say, it's reset the house day after the weekend because she's got two young kids and life's a bit crazy. So I literally, I'm walking up our stairs, like just arms full of everything, and I'm saying, it's time to reset the house. And as I said those words, it's like the Holy Spirit just began to speak to me. He speaks to me in strange ways, just letting you know. And the Holy Spirit just began to speak to me and say, so often... That's, that's the trouble with our mentality that we literally, we spend our lives resetting to what was, put everything back in order. We might have a moment, maybe it happens on a Sunday morning or maybe you've been away at a conference or, or you just, you're out walking with God and God begins to speak to you and you linger in that moment. But before you know it, you're back into, let's just reset to everything that's familiar. Let's just put everything back in the cupboards the way it was. Let's just stick everything back because we've got to get this house back in order. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, to me I'm never about resetting you to what was I'm always about setting you up for what's next and I just began to have this moment with God where I felt him challenge my internal um, wiring which is really I really am wired up to let's just put everything back in its place like that really is my my wiring some of you will relate to that but I just felt in my spirit the Lord say you might be like that in the natural but don't get like that in the spirit be forever saying what's next what's next what's next God is always about setting us up for what's next and yet here's the thing that we see in verse 5 of chapter chapter 5 oh, where did I say it was Luke 5 wasn't it is it Luke 5 Luke 5 verse 5 here's Simon's response but Lord we've already done this let me read it master we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing do you know I have so much sympathy with Simon's response I can almost hear the weariness in his voice the disappointment, the, oh, are you serious, Lord? I mean, I don't know if you work a night shift, but if you work a night shift, you'll have real sympathy with Simon here. You know, can you imagine you get in the door after working your night shift and time to go out again? You're having a laugh. Like, are you for real? And, and let's add to that as well that Jesus really wasn't the expert fisherman as far as Simon was concerned. 
You having a laugh? And here we see the tension. We've seen the invitation into the deep. But now we're seeing this tension and this temptation that Simon's grappling with. Am I going to remain where it's safe? Am I going to just reset to everything that's familiar? Am I just going to put everything back in order, back in the cupboards where it should be? Am I going to reset to everything that I know and everything that's logical and everything that makes sense? Or am I going to dare to say yes? And we see this tension played out. I don't know about you, but I face this tension in my life all the time. All the time, this this tension. Am I going to settle for what is rather than pushing on for what could be? I don't know what it is for you. I've written down a few things here. I think there's various temptations that cause us to remain stuck. Various things in our life. It might be mindsets. You know, the longer you've been in church, the harder they are to break. This is the way we've always done it. But this is how I was taught. Yeah, I know. I know. I get it. Been there, done it, got the t-shirt. I sow those words a lot. And then the Holy Spirit has to say to me, stop resetting to what you knew and start setting up for what's to come. I don't want to be someone that just remains stuck in what was. I want to say, God, I want to perceive what you're doing next. But our mindsets can stop us saying yes. What about fear? Oh, fear. I hate fear. I grapple with fear. I, I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't. It's the enemy's ploy, fear that comes in. But what if? But what if? But what if? What if we started saying, but what if? But what if? Oh, God, set us free from the fear that holds us back. What about people's opinions? Oh, this is a biggie for some of us, not for all of you. You know, I've got a great 19-year-old son that really doesn't care at all what people think. A fantastic good on him. I've got a 15-year-old daughter that's locked in it. What will people think? What will people think? What will people think? I don't know where you sit on that spectrum. Maybe somewhere in the middle. But people's opinions will cripple us and stop us moving forward into the deep place that God is calling us to. And at some point, we've got to face these giants and say, am I going to let them win? Or actually, am I going to have the courage to step into the thing that God is calling me to? What about logic? And I reckon that logic most of the time is our bank account. If we're really honest, it's the most sensible thing. It's, it's the facts and the figures. Oh, boy. Don't, I mean, again, we have varying degrees of, of where we sit on this. Some people just, just really don't care less. And other people are, listen, it's not about uh, how you are. It's let's operate out of a gift of faith that says, God, if you have said this, I'm not going to get so caught into the logic, so caught into the realities of what could be, but I'm going to dare to believe that you're setting me up for what's next. And if you're setting me up for what's next, that will defy logic. It will defy logic. So just get used to it. If you want to stay on the shore, stay on the shore. You were so right what you said. James, is it James? Yeah. Come on. There's an adventure waiting for us, a call to the deep. But it's going to require some courage here. Do you know another tension that that will keep us constantly pressing the reset button, reset button, is disappointment. Um, I can probably talk about this one most passionately because this was my story. This was so my story. In 2015, I found myself utterly burnt out and broken and just a mess because of disappointment. And, and you know, disappointment doesn't just land, it builds. Yeah? It doesn't just hit you out of nowhere. It builds, it builds, it builds. And then before you know it, you're, you're faced with just feeling just such this ache inside of just got no hope. And do you know the worst people to be around when you're feeling like that is people that are full of hope? They just really grate you. (laughs) Let's just be honest, yeah? Let's just... (laughs) Sorry, I know that's not what I meant to say, but but I just think that's the truth. They just, you know, people that were happy back then just really annoyed me. Just get out of my way and go and have your happy party, but leave me on my own, you know? This is how deep the disappointment got. That in, in July 2015, and I'm not going to give you all the details, some of you know our story, but in July 2015, I took myself up to the hills near where we live in Folkestone. And these words came out of my mouth, and I never, ever would have thought I would say them. But this is how deep the pain was. God, I'll always show up, because that's my DNA. Like, I'm never going to quit on church. I, I wouldn't know what else to do on a Sunday. Like, what do you do if you don't go to church on a Sunday? You know? I kind of jest, but listen, but I was like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere, God. Do you know that's a good place to come from? 
Bring your children up to have that core conviction. Come on, I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking around this place. I then went on to say, God, I'm not going anywhere. And I said, God, I'll always worship you. I'll always worship you. And then I said these words. Don't ever ask me to trust you for anything ever again. Because I'm done with that. You can't get more honest than that, can you? (laughs) Within a minute of me saying, or less than a minute, a second of of me saying that. Because God loves our honesty. He can do more with our honesty than he can with our pretense. I heard him whisper, oh, but Sarah, it's your trust in me that puts a smile on my face. And I echoed back, well, then you better help me because I can't get out of this. And I stand here today, four and a half, five years later, somebody that knows the reality of Psalm 40 when the psalmist said, you lifted me out of that pit. You set my feet on a rock. (laughs) Many are hearing and seeing what you've done in my life. And I want to tell you this, that you may be there this morning, you may be in that pit of despair, and I get the reality of it. I know what it is to wake up in the morning and not want to get out of bed and then stay in bed day after day. I know the reality of that. I know what it is to feel like all hope is gone, that actually you'd rather not be here. That's how low I got. But I want to tell you this, that God is not finished with you no matter how low you are. But what he asks from you is an honest cry from the heart. God, help. God, help. God, my faith is so weak, but God, help me in my unbelief. Help me. He can do more with your honesty. I wonder where you're at today. Are you like Peter, disappointed? God, we fished all night and we caught nothing. I'm exhausted and my hands are sore and I've just cleaned the nets. I've just cleaned the nets, Jesus, and you're asking me to get them out again and my hands are ripped to pieces. And he says to you, come on. I'm calling you to a deeper place. Do you know what I love about this story? Is that within the brokenness that Peter, Simon, as he was called then, was feeling. Here's the key to it all. I, just, I use my imagination in this, but I just think he whispered it. But if you say so. I, I could be wrong. Maybe he shouted it. He'll tell me one day when I see him, won't he? But I think just knowing my own journey of disappointment, I just don't imagine he shouted it. I just imagine, I just can't see him going, come on, chaps, we're off again. I just can't imagine it. But I can imagine this deep, deep voice of faith rising from within him and saying, but if you say so, if you say so, I'll get my nets out again. And I'll dare to put them into that deep place. See, the invitation to the deep will always require us to say, because you said. In fact, I want to almost throw in there, don't, don't be foolish. Well, that's a strong word to use. I'm going to say that. Don't be foolish to step into something unless God has said. But I tell you what, when he has said, have the courage. And, and your courage might be like mine. I can't do it, but if you help me. If that's your place of of faith, that's brilliant. God can do more with that than he can with you trying to muster up faith yourself. You do know that you can't muster it up, don't you? You do know it's a gift from God, I'm just saying. We we live in a world now that's so much of self-confession and all like positive thinking and positive mindsets and it's all positive, positive, positive. Positivity is not faith. Faith is a gift from God and only God by his Holy Spirit can give it to you. And if he has not deposited it in your heart, do not move forward on positive thinking. I'm just saying... Too many of us and too many churches are being built on positive thinking and positive energy. And this is how every other church does it, so this is what we're going to do. I want to be the kind of leader and the kind of person and the kind of mum and the kind of wife that says, because you say so, because of what you say so. But here's the challenge, church. Do we know what he says? Because if we don't know what he says, and the best way we know is through his written word, If we don't know what he says, how can our heart respond to say, because you say so? I'm going to tell you today, and I want to say this almost more, not for your benefit, but for the spirit realm. You can trust in the word of God. And that is so contested today. But you can trust in his word. You can trust in his word. And right now, there's a voice in some of your heads going, no, you can't, because he said that, and then he let you down. I know what that feels like, and I want to come back at you. But did he say, or did you think he said? Because if he really said, if he really said, you can trust in his word. And too many of us move forward on a, I think he said. And then we get disappointed, and we blame him, and we're blaming God for stuff that he never even said. We need to know his word We need to be confident in his word. Listen to what 1 Peter 1.25 says. The word of the Lord stands forever. Peter didn't say church traditions stand forever. 
No, he said the word of the Lord stands forever. He didn't say local pearls just stand forever. He said the word of the Lord stands forever. He didn't say your church constitution stands forever. He said the word of the Lord stands forever. And Isaiah says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Do you hear it? Do you sense in your spirit what I'm saying? In Matthew 7, Jesus is finishing this incredible sermon that he's given. Now we call it the Sermon on the Mount because it was on a mountain. And, and he's given this incredible sermon. And right at the end, he says, whoever listens to my words and follows them, you're on a rock. And whatever hits you in life, you will stand because the word of the Lord stands forever. I want to be known as somebody that builds my life upon this book. I want to be somebody who builds my life on because you say so. Not because of what people say, not because of what the media say, not even because of what my church says, but because of what you say. Because of what you say, almighty God. You don't need me to tell you, but let me remind you that we have an enemy who will constantly seek to undermine and challenge God's word. Did he say, did he say, did he say? And you're only going to respond to the deep by knowing what he said. I'd love to tell you that, it, that there's another method to this, but the only method is time with him. It's, it's not a new message, church. Funny that. I don't hear him speak. Have you asked him? Have you actually been quiet for more than five minutes? We're having an interesting thing. This is a bit of an aside again. But in our prayer meetings at home, God's just taken us into just periods of silence. Just think he wants us all to shut up. Just silence. We were in a prayer meeting just a couple of weeks ago. I reckon for a good half hour. Just silence. Now, when you're leading a meeting, that's awkward. And, and, and I'm leading this meeting. And I'm just like, God, I need to say something. Because like, maybe everyone's falling asleep. Maybe everyone's thinking, oh, what's she doing? You know, I'm just like, it's awkward. I literally felt heaven just over my mouth. Say nothing, Sarah. After, it was about half an hour. I just felt the freedom to be able to say something. And right at the end, I just thought, I've got to ask everyone what was going on there. Because maybe they were just all going, she's lost the plot a bit. And I just said, was that just me or one by one by one? Just people just going, it was that moment of, we've spoken too much. God, what are you saying? What are you saying? I want to hear your voice. I want to know your word. We, we need to spend time with him, which means doing a lot more listening and a lot yes, less speaking. Because from that place, we'll have the courage to say yes. From that place, Simon says, because you say so. And then he begins to let the nets down. Too many of us are living our lives going, well, because they said so. Because I've always done it this way, Lord, that's how I'll do it. Till you come again, Lord Jesus. <laughs> We've got to be careful, church, that we don't honour faithfulness more than fruitfulness. It's not in my notes, but I just felt to say it. We can be, you know, and I, you're looking at the biggest one that does this, okay? And as I often say to our church, hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. But I think we've got to be careful because too many of us have interpreted faithfulness as this is my chair and I'm going to sit here forever because I'm faithful to my chair. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not. Is there anyone in this room that is just like me and, and, and I'm just opening up my heart to you now on this journey that I'm desperate to know, God, what are you doing now? Desperate for it. And, and I know it's going to come at a cost. And I know that some people will misunderstand what's going on. I wish I had time to tell you some of my own journey, but I don't really. But God is really reshaping who I am, what, I, what that looks like, what I do. And I know that that's already getting misunderstood by some people. One of the worst parts for me is that I fear that I'll get misunderstood as being lazy. Because <laughs> one of the things that God's really asking me to do is to stop doing so much. Now listen, don't take that as a license because maybe God's telling you to do more. <laughs> so, so listen, I'm just saying, whatever God's doing in my life, well then let God do that in my life. But what's he saying to you? So don't go, well, the preacher said do less. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to do less. Some of us do that. 
Some of us do that, right? We listen to a podcast, listen to a preacher, and oh, that's it, they said it. And what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Because so many of us live by, well, what are they going to think because they said so? Because this is the way it's always been. Lord, I want to be somebody who says because of what you say. I'm going to start wrapping this up. I haven't got a clue what the time is. Are we all right for a couple of minutes? Are you sure? You still awake? You all right? Promise? You can leave if you want. I don't mind. But (laughs) Stuart might, but I don't. (laughs) It's fine. As I begin to wrap this up. What is the deep place? I know what it is right now in my life, but I I don't know what it is in your life. Only you know that. And for each one of us, it will look different. But I do know this, that all of us are God's children. And the invitation is for all of us. It's not just for a few. And so if you will be still long enough to say, Lord, what are you saying to me? In fact, I just dare to think that you already probably know it. I think often we know, we know the deep place, we know the invitation. The point that we stay for years is stuck in the middle. Reset, 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 reset. Oh, I'll do that next year. Reset, reset, reset. Is it just me? I wasn't going to tell you this, but it just fits in so well. Over the summer, uh, son Ellis, who had been at Bristol for a year doing a film degree, and his whole dream since he was 15, 16 was, you know, I used to say to him, what's the dream? Hollywood, he used to say to me. Like, his whole thing has been the film industry. Like, he could, t- you know, he could go on, what's that quiz programme? Mastermind. He could tell you anything about films. Like, uh, you name it, he's watched it. Like, yeah, that's where he comes alive. His passion is film. That's brilliant, fantastic. And we've just applauded him in that and championed him in that, and he did his first year at Bristol Uni and just loved that. And then over the summer... God spoke to him, and, and we didn't hear about this until the day I was resetting the house, funnily enough, 30th of August, when he said that thing that every parent dreads. Can I have a word? <laughs> you know, what's going to come out of their mouth? And, and he just began to say, I, th- I think God's speaking to me. Now, you just need to know that this isn't the language that our Ellis uses. Ellis, if you're listening, sorry, but he won't listen, he won't. Um, if it was one of my girls, I'd get that. But, but you know, I mean, Ellis is, yeah, he loves God. He's in church, so don't, don't get me wrong. But it's just not his language. It's just not every language he's used. I think God's speaking to me. So you go, oh. I don't think I should go back to Bristol. <laughs> you start in two weeks and you've already paid two months deposit on your house. Plus, a, you know, like, what? 1,500 quid has gone into that house. And so I just go into, like, logical mode. What? You're going to let down seven other students that you're sharing a house with? What? And he starts saying, I think God's calling me to youth ministry. And I'm like, oh, man. Do you know you'd have thought that me and Gareth would have responded with a, I confess to you, we went into parent panic mode. I'm just being honest with you, okay? And the amount of people that said, oh, you must be so proud, so excited. I'd like to say yes. But actually, do you know what? It's one thing to sit with somebody else's kid and cheer them on. It's another thing when it's your own. Yeah, I'll sit with your kid. I'll sit with your kid and encourage him to take a step of faith. But when it's your own, it's another story, right, parents? And, and so here we are sitting in the garden when I'm trying to reset the house. And it's just like, what? Listen, all I'm telling you this, and, and if you want to ask me the story afterwards, it's a bonkers story. We prayed with him. And, it, and I can't even pretend it was a long prayer. It wasn't one of those, ah, oh, prayers. It was, a, it was just a say it as it is prayer. You know, I don't even think we shut our eyes. That's how down to earth it was. Do you know what I'm saying? It wasn't a let's pray. It was a God, <laughs> if this is for real, you've got to do some miracles because... He's only going if you say so. And so me and Gareth just did that thing where we just backed off and just said, God, if this is you, um, we're learning to parent an adult. That's tricky. God, if this is you, and we prayed, God, he needs to be released from that house. Within one week of praying that prayer, he had miraculously been released from the house and his £1,500 put back into his bank account within one week of praying that prayer. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Um, he then, you know, he said to us, what do, what do I do? So Gareth said, uh, Google, Go- Google. <laughs> Just keeping it real. Do, do you know any Bible colleges, he says to us? Well, not really at the moment, no. Google it. Within a few hours of doing some Googling, and we actually said to him, look, Google and see if the Holy Spirit just 
You know, something jumps out. Listen, it's the modern age. You've just got to go with it. Within a few hours, he came back and said, I Googled, and this is what I found. Bible College, part of Elim. Um, the closing date was that day. <laughs> Mom, can you help me? You know, there was a section. How many Christian books have you read? None. Seriously, he's not read one. Now, if it was my Amy, she's read a stack load. But Ellis, none. He said, what shall I say? I said, just be honest. Just be honest. Not one book. Within eight days, he'd got an interview. The next day, he gets it. What I'm saying is that from meeting in the garden with him on the 30th of August, two weeks to the day, he started at Regents Bible College. And, and, and we still don't quite know about the finance. We're just trusting God for that and student finance and the rest of it. It will come good. Do you know what? My 19-year-old son has taught me a massive lesson. Because when I was going, whoa, be careful. And both me and Gareth were going, well, you could just finish at Bristol and then you could do it. God doesn't mind waiting. He said, I've heard from God. I'm going to do it. Friend, listen to me. When God speaks, when God speaks, don't let an old parent like me tell you what you can and can't do. Don't let somebody who's been there and is a little bit wiser and somebody that just, listen, of course, take advice. I'm not saying, you know, but ultimately, if God has spoken, God has spoken. We need to be the kind of people who have the courage to say, do you know what? I'm going to do it. A few months ago, Gareth and I had a sabbatical. It's time Stuart had one, really, just throwing that out there. But anyway. Oh, look, that gets an applause. Look at that. Sorry. You can say it when you're a visitor because it doesn't matter. I, I went into this sabbatical. I started it in March. Um, as any church leader does, pretty worn out. And, but I had my agenda. Okay, God, this is what we're going to do. These are the books I'm going to read. This is how I'm going to learn about leadership. Bom, bom, bom. Had it all planned out. Um, six weeks into the sabbatical, I was getting a little bit impatient. God, you haven't spoken. And, um, and I was just getting a little bit, like, a little bit restless. I was booked into a silent retreat. Um, that's another story. Uh, I've done two now. I act, seriously, there's nothing better than a silent retreat. That's another story. Booked into this silent retreat. And, and I went to this silent retreat... And, and the image I had in my mind was like, okay, God, um, I've emptied my suitcase and I want you now to tell me what goes back into the suitcase because I'd spent the first part of my sabbatical just kind of analysing everything, who I was, what I did, my diary, everything, everything. Okay, God, it's time to put back into the suitcase what goes into the suitcase. Got to the silent retreat. Within 24 hours, I was feeling this impatience. God, what am I putting back in this suitcase to get back onto the, the journey that you've got me on? And he began to say to me, I don't care what you put in your suitcase. The issue isn't what's in the suitcase. The issue is the suitcase. The suitcase needs to go. <laughs> well, thanks. And over these few days of a silent retreat, God began to call me to a deeper place. To a deeper place. I don't know if the musicians could come. Is that all right? I don't know. Just, just play something. God began to call me to a deeper place. And the deeper place I began to call home. You know, we talk about home as in one day when I get home. Do you know we can discover home now? Home can be our reality now. And God began to call me throughout this time to a deeper place. And the deeper place was, Sarah, will you discover what it looks like to do less and to be more? Sarah, will you discover what it looks like to know my approval and not man's approval? And it's as if God just began to do some internal work within my heart. It's as if God just began to say, I just want to rearrange who you are as a person. I want to take you into this deeper place, and the deeper place is the depths of my love. Do you know, Paul prayed this prayer about the church in, in Ephesus. He said this, he said, I pray that you'll know the height and the depth and the breadth of his love, because when you do, you will be full and complete in Jesus. And too many of us are trying to be full and complete in so many things, and the worst place that we try and do it is church. It's all about our ministry. It's all about how we're serving the Lord. It's all about what we're doing for him. And he says, I'm calling you to a deep place. And for me, the deep place at the minute, and I'm still journeying it, but it's a deep place that looks like who really is Sarah when she's so intimate with the Father? Who actually am I? I'm learning to discover that it's not about what I do, but it's about this deep intimacy. And most of the time, the minute, that's not looking like very much. It's a deep, hidden work. But I'm daring to say, God, I trust you because if that's the deep place you're calling me to, if that's the deep place you're calling me to, I'm, I'm going to have the courage to say yes. I'd like to tell you that it's easy. I've been back from sabbatical for four months now. And there's not a day, there's not a day, there's not a day where I'm not having to say, stop resetting, stop resetting, stop resetting to what was. But you know what? Other people want me to reset to what was. But Sarah, you used to do this. Sarah, you used to do all that kids' ministry. Sarah, you used to come and do all of this stuff. And Sarah, you were always running all the programs. Yeah, I know that's what I used to do. But Sarah, we've got a need for this now. I know you've got a need for this now. But that's not what God's called me to do. I'm having to reset, reset, reset. Because if I don't reset, how can I be set up for what's next? 
God, I don't want to just go back to what was. I want to perceive what you're doing. I want to perceive the new thing. I'm going to finish with a little story, a little illustration. And it just came to me during the worship. And Kezia, I'm going to ask you to help me with something. I know you're going to be really scared. I, know, I promise you, you can trust me. No, she really doesn't. She really doesn't want to trust me. Please, I'll, I'll give you money. I'll do anything. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I promise you've just got to stand next to me. I just want to put my arm around you. That's all I want to do. God, trust me. Trust me. Come on. She really is a shy girl. This is a big deal for her. Sorry, Kez. I know. I know you're going to hate me for this. I'll, I'll get you McDonald's. I'll do something. I'll do, I'll do whatever it takes. She's really going to hold me to that. We're going to get out of here. She's going to say 20 quid. I know she is. She's like, she's ruthless, this girl. Um, me and Kez, when we were on holiday in France, there was like this really big swimming pool, wasn't there? Yeah? You remember that one? And, um... Oh, I might get a bit emotional now. Um, there was a really big swimming pool, and, and just me and Kez went. Gareth was too lazy, wasn't he? He didn't want to come. And so he and the others, they just sat at a restaurant being lazy, and me and Kez, oh, off we went. And there was this massive slide, and, um, and it, it looked like amazing. It was just this massive slide. Um, one that you sit in with those rubber dinghies, you know, and you just go bombing down. And, um, and, and so Kez just did not take her eyes off this slide the whole time. And, and I reckon for the whole hour that we were in that pool, you just kept saying to me the whole time, let's go on the slide, let's go on the slide. And, but, but Kez is quite nervous, and so it was this big thing. Can we do the slide? Can we do the slide? Anyway, eventually we joined the queue for the slide, didn't we? <laughs> Picked up one of these big rubber dinghies. Um, started the climb up the stairs. It was high. Uh, we get to the top of the stairs. And we bottled it. <laughs> didn't we? Um, Kez looked at me and went, Oh, I don't want to do it. I'm too scared. And I went, so am I. <laughs> so we did the walk of shame. Has anyone ever had to do the walk of shame? Like, it's not, does anyone, seriously, has anyone had to do it? I see, I see that hand, I see that hand. It's awful. Like, it's awful because there's no room to walk back down, is there? Especially when you're holding a whopping great rubber dinghy thing, all right? It was awful. It was not our finest moment, was it? And then we just got back into the pool and just hoped that nobody saw. And it was very, very embarrassing. Kez looked at me and she, oh, she said this. I wish Dad was here. I hear where I'm going on this because the Holy Spirit wants to tell you something. Because I'm telling you now, if Gareth had been there, they'd have been in that dinghy. Not because he's super raw, man. Not because of that. But because... He would have wrapped Kez around him. I know. I just know. This is why I wanted you to come up. This is what he would have done. Sit down on the steps. Just sit. He would have done this. Okay? He would have just wrapped her like this. And he'd be whispering in her ear, it's going to be fun. We can do this. Unfortunately, that day, Kez had a mum that was as terrified as she was. <laughs> and there was no way I was going to wrap my arms around her. Now, had I done it before, I would have done. See, once we've done something once, we're not scared, are we? Mm. But I was terrified. So as soon as she says, I'm out of here, I'm like, yeah, me too. Let's go and get ice cream. But if her dad had been there, and this morning, I had no intention of saying this. And then during the worship, this image came to me of me holding cares like this. And I felt that your father in heaven wants to tell you today, he's got you. So when he's inviting you into the deep... He's not pushing you out on your own. He's not chucking you in the dinghy and going, boom, you know? He's, he's not saying, off you go. You're on your own. I'll meet you at the bottom. Come on, somebody needs to hear this. Your father, your daddy, your Abba has got you so tight. And all you have to do is lean into his arms. And in the same way that Kes said, if dad had been here, I want to tell you this. There's a cry in some of your hearts. If only my dad was here. I want to tell you he is. He is. And he's holding you. And his grip on you is stronger than your grip on him will ever be. But you have got to get in that rubber dinghy. And you've got to lean See, if Kez was in that dinghy with Gareth and she was fighting and trying to get out of it and the whole thing would have been chaotic. But as when she knows when she gets in with Gareth, she just leans into him and she trusts in him completely. Because that's what you do with Gareth. You just trust him. It's going to be all right because dad's here. Friends, 
It's going to be all right because your dad's here. Your dad's here. So when he's inviting you into the deep, he's with you. Some of you are feeling the tension right now. You're going, God, I'm tired. God, we did this before and it didn't work. Well, just maybe this time. Come on, let's just focus on him, shall we? Because you don't do it alone. You never do it alone. Never. Every person that God called, every character we read about in the Bible, they never did it alone. They never did it alone. They always did it with the strength of God around them. You are not going down the slide on your own. You're not stepping into the deep on your own. You're stepping in with him. And his arms are bigger and stronger and tougher than yours would ever be. Stop leaning on what you know. Stop leaning on the people around you. Do you know God's saying this to me all the time? And I know he's trying to teach me it because he keeps taking people away from me at the minute. Stop leaning on the people around you and just lean into my goodness. Lean into my arms. I am strong enough and I'm big enough and I can take care of it. Thanks, Kate. Father, I just, I don't know what you often do here, but I just, I'd love the honour of just praying over any of you this morning. And, um, and I don't know if there's time for that, but um, is that okay? And I know we've got coffee to taste, and believe you me, I want to taste the coffee, okay? But I, I, I'm really not into, I say this to our church all the time, I'm not into long, drawn-out stuff. And can I tell you what I'm not into? I hope this doesn't offend any of you, but, but if you come forward to prayer... I'm not going to ask you your story. We haven't got time for a counselling session here this morning, all right? Now, find that afterwards, okay? So find someone to talk to, find that safe person. But, but if you know you need prayer, we're just going to pray prayers of faith. But, but the prayer is that you would lean into the arms of your father and know what it is to say, oh, I'm, I'm tired of pressing reset. I don't want to keep walking down those stairs <laughs> to the bottom. I just want to... Go, come on, God, let's do this. Let's do this. If, if something I've said this morning has just stirred your heart, if in some way the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, you don't have to tell me, but take a step of faith and just come and either kneel here or stand here or just whatever you want to do. If, if physically that's difficult for you, stay in your seat and just pop your hand up and somebody will come to you. I recognize that for some people coming forward is difficult and, and kneeling is just impossible. I get that. That's okay. So just pop your hand up, okay? And, and, and I'm trusting that there'll be people in this church who'll just come and pray for you. Not talk to you, not big long sessions, but just by faith we stand together in this. Oh, Father. 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 We can't do it without you, Father. Father. 